Good morning, Crossroads family. Uh, I'm excited to be here this morning, being able to open up the Word of God uh, with you all, and uh, hope that this finds you uh, healthy and happy at home, uh, fellow quarantiners. And uh, I know that God uh, knew a long time before uh, we even started this series that we would need to be looking at His Son during this time. And so we're we're excited that we're able to uh, be in the the Gospel of Luke, and we're able to uh, look at bringing Jesus into focus during this important period in our lives where a lot of other things are out of focus, if we're honest. A lot of other things are frustrating, um, are disheartening in many ways, and yet um, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're grateful for that, and uh, we know that we can count on Him uh, throughout any circumstance that life throws at us. So, uh, and nothing is, is brought into our lives that is uh, not first allowed through his filter. And so we're just, we're grateful to be able to, to look at, in the year 2020, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, just really take a look at who Jesus is and what he's asked us to be in and through him. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, some disciples that are on a journey. And so I, I want to throw out a question to anybody who's watching on Facebook Live this morning. Uh, anyone who's at home um, and has that ability to respond uh, this morning. We want to we have some interaction this morning. And so uh, my question to you this morning is this. If you were going on a journey, what are the three most important items that you wouldn't want to have to leave home without? So um, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. If you could only bring three things with you, what would those things be if you were taking a journey? Before we dive into our text this morning and uh, before we hear some of those responses, I just want to provide some context for our passage this morning. Uh, really, uh, what, we're, what we're looking at is um, where the disciples are being sent out. Uh, they're being sent out ahead of Jesus into the various towns and villages throughout Judea, Samaria, uh, and even in Galilee. And, and Jesus is sending them out with a message of the kingdom. Uh, we know from chapter 9 that Jesus has revealed his glory to the disciples. He's revealed his power in driving out demons uh, in front of the disciples and to the people of, those, of that area. And so now we're seeing that Jesus is on his way to fulfill his mission in Jerusalem. Uh, the writer Luke is really emphasizing this journey. And he's, he's bringing together a whole host of, of moments in Jesus' life. Uh, and weaving together a tapestry to give us a picture of what it looks like for Jesus to move towards the direction of the cross. And as he moves towards the direction of the cross and fulfilling his mission of redeeming mankind, he wants to send people out on a journey ahead of him. He's really commissioned uh, these, these disciples to go before him. And so, uh, that's kind of the context as we approach this text in Luke chapter 10. But let me, let me go back to that question, see what kind of responses we're getting uh, this morning uh, from that question. And so I'm curious to see what you guys all have to say. Uh, let's see. Uh, John says that he would have to bring his pants. That's good. John Howding, glad you're bringing your pants with you on the journey. Um, Gabe and Abby... Uh, those are a couple of the Howden kids. Say they would bring clothes, money, and food. Very practical answers. Very good. Um, Pam 
Uh, Hendren says, Bible, clothes, and money. All right? Got the spiritual element there. Got to bring your Bible. That's good. Uh, Marianne, money, phone, and a toothbrush. Thank you for bringing your toothbrush, Marianne. Um, let's see. John Howding. Uh, Allie says, phone, money, and a water bottle. That's because she's always running. She's got to bring her water. Stay hydrated. Good work. Um, my wife says, phone, money, and toiletries. Uh, she's very practical. Has to make sure she has her toiletries on board. Uh, Joey says, medication, important paper stuff from home, and money. Everybody needs money, I guess, for a journey. That seems to be an important uh, response. I'm curious to see if there's differences between what men would bring and what the ladies think are important. Um, let's see. Brittany, all I need is Jesus and my thermos. Very nice, Brittany. Um, let's see who else we got here. Maluli, money, phone, very practical. He wants to stay in communication and some sort of transportation. He's got to have his truck. Very good, Maluli. Um, thank you for interacting. Morrison says toilet paper, undies, and his guitar. Very nice, Morrison. Good response. So we all have things that we think are important if we're going to be heading out on a journey. And this morning, join me in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Some of the manuscripts say 72. Uh, there's really equal evidence for both numbers in Scripture. But um, in this case, the Holman translation goes with 70. Uh, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he's sending the disciples out ahead of him with a message. And he's sending them in pairs. And there's something to be learned for this. Uh, when we're going to be doing ministry in the world, it's important to have some reinforcement, to not be out there alone. And so whether that's uh, prayer partners or whether that's ministry partners, it's important to go in unity and in support. Verse 2, he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. In one of the parallel passages to this in Matthew, chapter 10, verse 16, he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and as innocent or harmless as doves. Jesus knew that the mission that lie, that lie ahead was a difficult one. Going out and sharing who he is and what his kingdom is all about is counter-cultural to what our world values and to the things of our world. And so Jesus knew that they were heading out into a difficult situation. And anyone who wants to represent Jesus in this world is going to face persecution and opposition. And Jesus knew that. And he said he wants... He wanted them to go and be shrewd and be wise as they went, not foolish, but also have a heart of innocence and a heart which is not trying to harm anyone, um, but is bringing a message of good news. So what do we learn here? We learn that Jesus wants to enlist you for his purpose. Jesus enlists you for his purpose. You were invited to play a part in the harvest. Even today, God continues to bring lives to him, he continues to win souls over to the kingdom and to um, help 
people understand who he is and all that he has done for, for them. To serve as ambassadors for the risen king. Now, verse 4 of Luke chapter 10, it, Jesus begins to give some instructions. And there's some very practical instructions given and some principles that we can apply in our own lives today as we go and represent Jesus as ambassadors. Verse 4, don't carry a money bag. Any of you guys who said you were going to bring your money? Bad answer. You're supposed to just be trusting Jesus. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for inviting us to be a part of your harvest. Inviting us to play a role with the King of Kings to allow people to come to know who you are. To come to know that you are the Savior of the world. And God, that you want them to be reconciled back to you. God, I thank you that you have invited us into that opportunity to partner with you in that mission. God, as we are, as we are your representatives in this world, help us, God, to be faithful. Help us to be faithful and committed to the task that you've placed on us, your children. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So what do I see in this text? Um, I see five instructions. Jesus gives to those of us that are going to represent him in the world. Number one, found in verse four. In verse four, he says, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't bring anything with you. We're to step out in faith. That's number one. Step out in faith. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to have it all figured out before we, we go and start representing him, before we go and and we are called into some sort of service, into some sort of ministry. It's not always going to feel comfortable. I remember my first time being involved with youth. You know, youth can be vicious. It's tough sometimes to step into the hornet's nest of junior hires and be able to faithfully represent him and still be kind of cool and accepted. So I understand the, the trepidation that we might fe uh, feel as we step out into a ministry, into a calling into representing him. Even crossing the street to a neighbor's house can be intimidating, can it not? And yet Jesus doesn't want us to have it all figured out. He doesn't want us to have everything within our resources to, to be able to begin representing him and begin ministering to him. He's given us all we need. He just wants us to step out in faith. You know, whether it's uh, going around the world or just going next door, um, leaving a job to pursue God's call. I don't know what it is that God's calling you to do, what God, what God is challenging you with, but I know that he's always wanting us to step out in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, 
verse 8, we read this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Now, that's what I call faith. Usually, when I hook up my trailer and I, and I begin to pull out of my uh, driveway, I already have a reservation. I already have a plan of where I'm going to go. And yet, God is calling us many times to just step out in faith and follow him where he's going to lead. Are you willing to take that first step? What is God calling you to do by faith today? What do you need to leave behind in order to answer his call? Sometimes that is self-reliance. Maybe it's a a relationship that's unhealthy. Maybe it is uh, a job that is getting in the way of you really stepping out in faith and following where he leads. I don't know where God is calling you, but I do know that he's calling. And I do know that he wants each and every one of us to step out in faith and represent him in some way, in some ministry. Number two, we are to stay planted in opportunity. Let me read what verses 5 through 7 says again here in Luke. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. You see, many times we're not very satisfied with where maybe God has called us to ministry. We get in that first class of children's ministry, and the kids won't listen to us. And so we say, well, this must not be for me. Clearly, I'm not called to children's ministry because these kids are snotty-nosed brats. And therefore, God must have an easier plan for me. Some sort of thing that's just going to feel right. Well, guess what? If, if, If God has called you to something, God wants you to stick it out, to plant where there's opportunity. So if even one of those kids comes up and gives you a hug, boom, there's your... There's your signal that God has planted you in opportunity. You have opportunity to build relationships. The first mission field that God has called us to, each one of us, is to our families. You know, we need to be faithful there. We need to be faithful in that calling, to be ministering faithfully to our family, whatever role we have there. Don't look for what's next. Minister in the moments God has provided you now. Sometimes we always think like, man, it's just going to be better somewhere else. It's going to be better if I just have this type of calling rather than, you know, be faithful where God has me now. I wish I had a different neighbor. If only I had a better neighbor, then I could, you know, be faithful to minister and to represent Jesus to my neighborhood. You know, we can always find excuses, but the real question we we should be asking is, what moments Has God provided us of opportunity right now? Are we being faithful to stay planted in opportunity? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this in verses 7 through 9. I don't want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. Where is God opening a door for you to minister? That's really the question we should be asking. 
And once we have an open door, let's stay there. Let's stay planted. Let's build relationships. And let's be effective to represent Christ where he has us. Number three, we need to stay focused on the mission. Look at verse 8 again. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the thing set before you. Now in that day, there was a real controversy of whether or not there was certain clean foods and unclean foods. And so that could be really uncomfortable if somebody set before you something that you considered unclean. You know, meat that was sacrificed to some sort of idol or pagan god. You know, I could spend a lot of time arguing whether or not that meat was right for me to eat or not. But Jesus sends them out and he says, when you go out, don't get wrapped up in this trivial issues, these debates, these things that could, you know, sidetrack you from the ultimate mission to represent me, to represent what's important, that I've come into the world, that I want a relationship with mankind. Sure, you can win an argument, but are you going to lose the relationship in the process? Jesus didn't want that. He didn't want them to get wrapped up in trivial issues. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. The Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy on how to do ministry, and he says this, Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Sometimes you have to ask yourself this question, as I do often. I'm involved with online debates sometimes. It's easy to do, get wrapped up in these controversies. And this is the question that God brings onto my heart. Do I want to be right? Do I have to be right in this situation? Or am I interested in this person I'm talking to being right with God? That's really the question that I have to ask myself, and I have to stop myself sometimes, because I am an arguer. I can be very uh, persuasive, and I can really put somebody into a corner if I really want to. God's given me that that skill, if you will. And yet, I don't know if that's really what I should be doing in that situation because I don't want to compromise the relationship that I'm trying to build with that individual to point them to Jesus. And so do you have to be right or are you interested in the person coming to know Jesus and being right with him? Number four, first we're to step out in faith, we're to stay planted in opportunity, and we're to stay focused on our mission. But number four, we're to supply health to the community that God has planted us in. Don't ignore needs. Meet them with love and generosity. Look at verse 9. It says that we're to heal the sick who are there. Heal the sick that are there. That's not just physical sick. There's people that are emotionally unhealthy. There's people that are financially hurting. We are to be offering help to the community in which God plants us. And there's a lot to be said when you are willing to be generous and loving in your community. There's a lot to be said about what the blessings of Jesus are as you begin to share them with the people around you. 
And that's a very attractive thing. Look at what the church was in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Now all the believers were working, were together, and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. What was the result of being selfless, of sharing with those in need, of meeting the needs of those around them? What was that result? It says here, and every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. Are we the type of individuals, are we the type of church that is adding health to the community around us? What ways can you add health to those in your circle? What ways can you minister the love of Jesus in practical ways to those around you? And number five, never forget, number five, share the good news of Jesus. Look at the way he ends it. He says, heal the sick, in verse 9, who are there, and tell them. Don't forget to tell them. The kingdom of God has come near you. We are to share the good news of Jesus. We can never forget their biggest need, and that's to be reconciled back to the Father God through Jesus Christ. Through trusting his sacrifice, what he did on that cross was payment for their sins. And all they have to do to receive the grace and the forgiveness that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is to open their heart submit their will, and say, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Are we telling them about that opportunity? You know, we can minister all kinds of health, but if we forget the message, we're missing something. We have to stay faithful to the message of Jesus Christ. You know, um, I wanted to throw out a question. This is another opportunity to interact with those of you guys at home. Um, I believe there's going to be all five of those points that are mentioned here by Jesus as he, as he sends them out. And, and my question to you guys is this, which one do you need the most prayer and encouragement to live out? What would you say out of those five, and I'm sure we could use probably encouragement in all five, but maybe God's touched your heart this, this morning and he's really put a burden on your heart. You know, I really need to be focused on this area. I really need prayer in this area, I really need encouragement to live this out as, as Jesus' ambassador and where he's called me to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 summarizes our calling to share the good news of Jesus. Listen to what it says here. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, our, our mission, our ministry is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, carrying the message of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. 
very clearly. That's our calling, no matter if it's with our neighbor, with someone in our family, with those we work with, with someone around the world. God has called us to go and make disciples of all nations. That's our calling. Let me see some of the responses that you guys have here, if anybody is uh, responding to that question. Uh, let's see here. All right. I don't know if I'm seeing anything. Oh, here we go. Um, Jan says, I need to remember that reconciliation to God is the bottom line. Thank you, Jan. I think that that's something we all need to remember and keep in mind. Um, number three for Melissa Burgess. Number three, I get caught up in the details, the right and the wrong. Yeah, we, we can all get caught up and we forget to stay focused on the real, true, important mission that God has called us to represent. My wife says, number one, Amy, I know that can be challenging to step out in faith. To not know all the plan and yet follow where God is leading. That's challenging for all of us. And I know that's challenging for, for you as well. Um, Katie sharing the good news of Jesus, number five. You know, that, that, that can be intimidating, right? It's not always uh, well received. And so we, we sometimes shy away from going where we know God wants us to go. And sharing Jesus Christ with others. Stacy saying, staying focused on the mission. Um, John Burgess, staying planted, not getting discouraged and just wanting to move on, uh, but staying planted in that opportunity that God's provided us. Um, Pam Hendren, staying focused on the mission. Uh, Darlene Winnie, number one, stepping out in faith. Courtney, number two, staying planted in opportunity. Um, Cindy, staying focused on the mission. Uh, thank you for those responses. You know, I know there's many more that are responding now, but um, I'm just excited to see that God is speaking to those of us watching and those of us listening to his word. Um, and, I, and I really believe that he's challenging each one of us in different areas. And I just hope that we'll respond to that challenge that he has for us. Verse 10 of Luke, as we continue. When you enter any town, Jesus told, told the 70, and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off as a witness against you even the dust of your town that clings to our feet. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Wow, Jesus really talks about the importance of not rejecting the messenger. Not rejecting the message or the messenger. Because those who reject the message and the messenger of Jesus Christ put themselves into danger of judgment and severe judgment. It says that Sodom is going to have it easier on judgment day than those who reject the message of God's ambassadors, of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. That's a very solemn and and serious statement. Verse 13, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, those are seaports that were Philistine territory um, back in the day, 
and he's basically saying, hey, if the things that were done around the Sea of Galilee, the miracles that I've performed, if they were done back in the day in those seaports, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, that was his adopted hometown, you'll remember, after he left Nazareth because they wouldn't believe. He said no prophet is honored in his hometown. He made Capernaum along the Sea of Galilee his new home headquarters. And he speaks to the the people of Capernaum now, and he says, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you, speaking to his 70 ambassadors, his representatives, whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. It's a very serious thing to reject Jesus because that means there's no chance to be accepted and to be welcomed into the Father, Father God's arms. Remember, your responsibility is representing Jesus. God is in charge of the results. You know, many times that's what keeps us from representing him or sharing the message, number five, is because we're kind of afraid of like, well, what if, they, what if I don't do a good job and they don't believe or they reject me or they mistreat me or they laugh at me? Or, but we got to remember that God is in charge of the harvest. He's in charge of the results. Our role is to simply be a faithful ambassador. Don't take rejection personally. You know, many times we think it must have been me. No, Jesus says they're going to reject you. They rejected me. Don't expect them to just applaud every time you do a good job of representing him in this world. There's going to be rejection, but don't take it personally. Ultimately, they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting God. And secondly, leave judgment in God's hands. You know, sometimes we we feel like it's our role to tell them what they're going to get. No, leave that to God. God knows the heart. He will judge the heart. My question is, what's one area you need to trust God with and allow him to produce the results? Maybe it's a relationship that is in your life, and you know, man, I've put in a lot of effort, and and I just wish this would, no, what do you need to just trust God with the results and stay faithful to be who he's called you to be in that circumstance? Maybe it's with finances. You feel like the results aren't coming but you're trying to be faithful and work hard and do the things he's called you to do. What's an area that you need to just trust God with the results? First, Jesus enlists you for his purpose. And second, Jesus entrusts you with his power. Look at verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're excited. They've come back from this mission that God has given them. And they realize like, wow, we've done some powerful ministry. We've seen demons even leave. They fled because we, we called them out in your name, Jesus. Wow, what power you've given us. Jesus said to them in verse 18, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. You see, Jesus is victorious. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. There's nothing 
that can stand against him. Amen? And anyone who is representing him and operating in his name and in faith in him, nothing can stand against you as well. And Jesus knew that, and Jesus had provided them the power that comes in the name of Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who were called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? There's nothing that can stand against us. There's no power too great to overcome you in your life when you're serving Jesus. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Will you claim it? Will you live it out? Will you have confidence that Jesus will meet your needs, that nothing can come up against you? And that he's working every circumstance out. Yeah, even this crazy one we live in right now, he's working it out for your good, those who trust Jesus, and he's working it out for his glory. And we can be confident of those things. Nothing can stand against you when you stand on Christ. Nothing can harm you. Jesus has defeated the enemy. So first, Jesus enlists you for his purpose. Second, Jesus entrusts you with his power. And finally, Jesus entrenches you. I had to have an E-N, entrenches. But really, that means he just solidifies you. He, he, he fixes you so you cannot be moved. He entrenches you in his peace. Wow, this is, this is probably my favorite part of this passage. This idea that God allows us to have a peace. His peace. A peace that cannot be removed. A peace that goes beyond our circumstances. A peace that we know it is well with our souls. No matter what we face. Look at verse 20. However, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus wants to remind them of something so important, and he wants to remind us of the same thing, and that is this. Don't get so excited about all those other things. They're really cool things, things in ministry, things in victory, that we can, things where we overcome temptation. There's a lot of things that, that we can celebrate. But those things just are byproduct of the bigger thing that we need to have our joy rest in. And that is that Jesus is victorious, that Jesus overcame the grave, and that Jesus, because of his blood and his sacrifice, has paid the price for your sins. And he has written your name. If you have faith in him, he has written your name in the book of life in heaven. Now that's worth celebrating. That's worth being excited about. Because nothing can ever take that away. Nothing can ever remove that. Listen, this, this uh, verse here has a, has a Greek word written in heaven. The names are written in heaven. Listen to what this uh, Greek verb, it's in the present perfect tense. And it means it stands written. It was used as a statement of assurance. 
It was used in signing a will. Whenever somebody signed a will, that was their decree. It couldn't be changed. It was used as a, in marriage document signing, that they would write their names and they were committing to death do we part, till death do we part. It was written in peace treaties. When, when parties signed a peace treaty, no more fighting, no more war. I put my signature on here, we're going to be at peace. And we're going to sign this treaty. And it was used to enroll as a citizen of a nation, saying, I pledge my allegiance to this nation. This is the, the, the verb that was translated, written in heaven by Jesus. Jesus wants us to know that because of his work on the cross, because of the payment of sin and the forgiveness that we can receive through his death, there's no need to fear we can live in peace knowing that our names are written in heaven as we trust in him. Listen to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. It's a picture of, of the last days, of this time where Jesus is going to settle all accounts. And starting in verse 12, it says, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades gave up their dead. All were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a very serious warning there, and that is that there is a book in heaven, and that book contains the names of every individual that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The gift of grace in Jesus Christ was for all humanity. 1 John 2.2 says, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for those of the whole world. Jesus made it possible for anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter how many things you think you've done that are evil and wrong, God can forgive you through Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you can do to remove yourself from his grace. He's calling you to go on your knees right now and receive the free gift of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. He wants to write your name in heaven, where that can never be removed. I really like this picture because it says some books were open, and everybody has all of their life laid out in these books. Like everything we've done is recorded. That's a scary thought, is it not? Everything we've thought, the motives of our heart are written down in heaven. And we're going to stand before a holy, righteous, perfect God. And we're going to realize how far, how far we fall short of his perfect standard of glory. And yet there's going to be this other book that's going to be opened. And that book's going to be called the Book of Life. And it says that the names that are written in the Book of Life are not thrown into the lake of fire. The place where... Yeah, the things we've done that are wrong and evil, they deserve to be punished. They deserve to be separated from a holy God. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we can enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. I pray that you understand that, that if you don't know if your sins are forgiven, that you can pray right now, that you can pray, Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've done things that break your law. 
things that, that are wrong. And God, I just ask that you forgive me of my sins. And I trust in Jesus and what he did for me on that cross. I believe that he died for my sins and that he rose again three days later to overcome death. And God, I, I place all of my faith and trust in him. Move into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer today, I just pray that you reach out to someone on the Facebook feed. To, you can email one of us in the office. You can find our contact information online. I'd love to follow up with you, to encourage you, to just talk about some next steps in your walk, your relationship with Jesus. Let's finish up this morning. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 10. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, learned, and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Wow. Man, in a world right now that just elevates scientists, we all have to listen to the experts. We all have to kind of hear what they have to say. And I'm not downplaying education by any means. And I, and I think there's value in having people that are experts in different fields. But it's very interesting that Jesus doesn't expect you to be an expert to come to him. As a matter of fact, he says, most of the people who come to me are the lowest of society. Those who realize that they have a need. Those that realize they don't have it all together in this life. And they come to me and I've chosen them. I've chosen to reveal myself to them because they're humble at heart. And God will always oppose the proud, but give his grace to the humble. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.26. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one can boast in his presence. You see, God is not interested in your qualifications. God is not interested in your credentials. God is interested in a humble heart. God is interested in you recognizing your need for someone greater. That you don't have it all figured out. That you are lost without God. God wants you to recognize that and come to him in faith and in humility. Verse 22, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows, the Son is, no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. You know, I love in Matthew, there's a parallel passage where Jesus continues, according to the author of Matthew, and, and the verse that follows this verse, verse 22 of Luke, the verse that follows this verse in Matthew is Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Who is it that the Son desires to reveal the Father to? Listen to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus goes on to say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, I love that Matthew includes that. Luke chose not to. Maybe he was running out of time and he had to get through his, his work. But Matthew records that Jesus had something more to say. 
And the more to say was he wants everyone who feels burdened and overwhelmed with this life to realize, I'm here. Come to me. I'm ready. I will reveal myself to you. The Bible says that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be opened to us. God is just one prayer away. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 23 of Luke, as we finish up, then turning to his disciples, he said privately, the eyes that see the things you see are blessed, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, yet didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, yet didn't hear them. Do you realize that, man, what a privilege and an honor it would have been to have met Jesus face to face. Only a few of all humanity over all the generations had the privilege that these disciples had to see the king of glory come down, take on flesh, empty himself of all that was his as God, and come down and live in humility in the flesh, live dependent upon the Holy Spirit, set an example for you and I on how to live this life. And they had the opportunity to hear his words, to watch his miraculous actions, to see his heart on display. And Jesus says, man, the prophets of old, they desired to be where you are. They desired, when they were writing their scriptures in the Old Testament, they were were wondering about, like, what is all of this that we're writing about? I wish we could see it firsthand. What a privilege and an honor these disciples had. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. You see, they saw the sufferings of the Messiah. And this morning, we're going to remember. We're going to have an opportunity to respond and worship. The worship team's coming Uh, up right now, and we're going to have an opportunity to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be worshiping our Savior, and we're going to be remembering, we're going to be recalling His suffering, His sacrifice that was for us. His blood was shed on our behalf. His body was broken for us. And as we remember communion, this is the time, if you have communion prepared, the elements doesn't matter if it's a cracker, if it's bread, if it's the perfect, you know, unleavened bread that you have prepared at home. That's insignificant compared to the opportunity you have to partake of the body and to remember the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that juice, and if you have wine at home, nobody knows, nobody's going to judge, don't give it to your children, but It doesn't matter whether it's juice, whether it's wine. What's important is to remember what it represents. It represents the blood that Jesus shed for the forgiveness of sins. 
on your behalf, on my behalf. We're going to have an opportunity to remember that here in just a minute. So let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the reminder, God, of how you love us and how you've uh, just sent us out to represent you in this world. God, help us to be faithful to that mission, to that task. God, help us in ways that we fail. Forgive us of our failures and God, just uh, give us the confidence to move forward because God, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few and you are the Lord of the harvest and you're looking for faithful workers. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to be faithful. God, as we reflect upon your sacrifice, God, I just pray that we might rededicate ourselves to your mission, to your calling. God, we thank you Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name, his holy name.